So we're in a part of a series that's coming to an end, but we've got two more messages and there may even be another one, who knows. But how to live on purpose. Because at the end of this year, we're all going to end up somewhere. And we've been through this incredibly disruptive season. And I really just felt in my heart to speak into us making some choices about becoming more intentional about certain things. And maybe for some, it's just reminding yourself, yeah, I need to get back to that. For others, it's wow, that's revelation. That's new to me. Or that's a fresh way of looking at it. And we've been talking about being intentional in terms of of an overall sense of purpose, that God has got a plan and a destiny for your life. Today, we're going to be talking about relationships, and that's always a, a good one. Last week, we talked about finances. We're also going to be talking about your overall well-being. But God wants us to finish this year well, to set up next year. And we've already seen, and one of the exciting things in my role as National Secretary, visiting different of the state conferences, is just to see this incredible freshness and this dynamic of the Holy Spirit at work. And we're experiencing it here as a church. And I know even those in the online, God can touch you where you are. And it's just that whole fresh thing that God is doing and we don't want to miss out. Proverbs 29.18 says, where there's no prophetic vision, a sense of divine guidance, people cast off restraint. And one of the things that anchors our life is to have a clear prophetic way forward. And we use that word prophetic vision because that's what it is in the Hebrew. It's not just any old vision. It's a God word. It's a God direction. It's a God sense of destiny in your life. Been borrowing a phrase from Craig Rochelle that everybody ends up somewhere, but not everybody ends up somewhere on purpose. And if you drift, you'll end up somewhere. But all you can say, God, I want you to speak into my heart, speak into my life. I want to adjust some things or put some new things in place so I can end up somewhere on purpose. So today, as I said, we're going to talk about relationships. And I'm going to read a little bit longer chunk of Scripture. It's not that there's a lack of Scripture, I think, in any of my messages, but uh, today I'm going to read from a section of the Sermon on the Mount dealing with relationships. And we're going to sort of pick through a few verses in chapter 5. And they form a background to how much Jesus prioritised relationships. And I'm reading it from the message, which is a paraphrase, but it it catches us kind of with a fresh way of things being put. Jesus, this is part of the famous Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed the hillside. Then those who were closest to him, the committed, climbed with him. I just want you to notice, we kind of think the Sermon on the Mount was to everybody, but Jesus had ministered to everybody. And then he said to the committed, will you... Will you come with me? And the essence of Christianity is not just information. It's following the person of Jesus Christ. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. And this is what he said. And now we begin to pick through some of these verses. You are blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. Verse 14 and following. He has another way to put it. 
You're here to be light, bringing out the God colours in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. And I'm putting you on a light stand. And now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Let people see the difference in the way you do life, in the way you do relationships. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Verse 23 and following. This is how I want you to conduct yourselves in these matters. If you enter a place of worship and about to make an offering and you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you, abandon your offering, leave immediately, go to this friend and make things right. Then and only then come back and work things out with God. Dropping down to verse 43. You're familiar with the old written law. Love your friend and the unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I'm challenging that, Jesus says. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. And if all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. And finally, verse 48, not that it's the only things Jesus said about relationships. In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. Your kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the way God lives towards you. So I want you to know, having read that, I've got everything in relationships down pat. (laughs) No, I don't. I'm speaking to you from my heart. And even in preparing this message, there were one or two things became acute. I reached out to one or two people that kind of I'd tried before and seeking to work some things out. And I'm just speaking about some things that I believe God wants to speak to all of us about. So I want to just establish three foundational truths because like finances, that if things are out of control, they create enormous pressure in your lives. But equally so, maybe even more so, when there's broken, dysfunctional relationships and you're not always the cause of it and you can't always fix everything. I want to put that out there up front. But that creates enormous stress and pressure in our lives. We know that to be true, whether it's family relationships, a marriage relationship, whether it's friendships that somehow got turned upside down, whether it's a work situation. Relationships can bring the greatest joy to our lives and I think also the greatest stress. And we all want better relationships. But I want to ask you this question, do you have a vision or even a strategy to try to improve your relationships. And maybe you're in a bit of a sweet spot at the moment where kind of everything's pretty good in your relationships. Well, what can you do even to improve that? But I'm sure most of us, as I've started talking about this, have at least one relational situation where you go, oh, that's still a bit awkward, or that's still dysfunctional, 
or that's still broken. And like I said, I want to stress this again, you may not be able to fix it because the other person needs to respond as well. But he has some preconditions, I think, to great relationships. I think actually these things apply to just about everything in God. Number one, am I, are you willing to change? Because often in relational situations, especially when there's pain, uh, disappointment, betrayal, whatever you want to call it, the other thing, if they change, then... If they alter their behaviour, then I'll forgive and then we can work something out. But I think the question that God really asks us, are you willing to change? If you had as your dream to go to America or Europe or whatever you want to go, whatever your dream is to go, but outside of Australia, maybe even Tasmania, the point would apply. And you say, I don't like planes and I will not fly there and I don't like ships and I will not go on a cruise there. Well, good luck getting to America or Europe or Tasmania. Just good luck with that. Because if you don't say, well, even if I don't like it, I'm going to have to do it, you're not going to get there. And it's the same with relationships and often with many other things in God's kingdom. You've got to say, yes, Lord, I'm willing to be the one that changes. You see, I think sometimes we, particularly in our modern society, kind of take God's word as an optional extra. And it's not an intentional thing. And I'm speaking now to people who follow Jesus and you acknowledge that this is God's inspired word. And it it is a holy script in every way and has all the wisdom for life and living. But I don't know about you, sometimes I find myself reading a passage and thinking how that applies to everybody else. Don't look at me like that, please. (laughs) Or if only they'd take this advice. Or the other thing is, that's good, but God, you don't really understand. And we kind of treat it as an optional extra. If we like the advice, we will do it. But listen to what Jesus says, and this is from Matthew 7, verse 13, again, a part of the Sermon on the Mount. Going through the narrow gate, the gate that leads to destruction, you see, is nice and wide. And the road going there has plenty of room for opinions, for bad attitudes, for disobedience. He says, you want to go to destruction, the road is broad. There are so many options and lots of people go that way. But the gate leading to life, and he's talking about kingdom life, life under the king of kings is narrow and the road going there is a tight squeeze and not many people find their way through. And I don't think he's talking exclusively about the concept of salvation. He's talking about the application of God's word, God's truth to our everyday lives. And so even as followers of Jesus, you may be assured of your salvation and live in disobedience to things around relationship, finances or any of the things we've been talking about because it's awkward. It means I have to adjust Go, well, I'm just going to do what I want. But you're heading towards some kind of destruction in your life. And I'm not even here talking about losing your salvation because 
we, we put our trust in Jesus. He, we don't work for salvation. It's really important we understand that. So are you and I willing to change? Secondly, are we willing to put others first in relationship? John Maxwell um, has a teaching and, and it's related to a principle. He, he loves principles and they're very good. He calls it the high road principle. And he says the low road principle is where kind of you have an attitude of superiority where you treat everyone worse than yourself. And, and one of the places I look for that is at a restaurant, how people treat the staff that are there to help them. If they are demeaning to them, I think, oh, you know, anyway, just saying. The, the middle of the road where you kind of treat everyone as they would treat you. Or he says you can take the high road, that you seek to treat everybody better regardless of what they do. And I guess, guess which one is biblical? And guess which one is incredibly difficult to aspire to? It's the high road. And that's what Jesus calls us to. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 9 and verse 33, this is the whole thing about putting others first. They're on a road journey again from Jerusalem up to the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum, which Jesus makes his Galilee base. They came to Capernaum and when he was safe at home, he asked them, what were you discussing on the road? The silence was deafening. They'd been arguing with one another over who among them was the greatest. Can you imagine? Awkward. We didn't think Jesus heard. We thought we were far enough away from him. And when we were having this argument and now we're embarrassed. And Jesus is not seeking to embarrass. He's just seeking to speak to our hearts. And so he sat down and summoned the 12. So you want first place? Then take the last place, be the servant of all. An attitude of how can I help others in this journey of life? You see, one of the things that people who adopt the high road approach is that they are aware that they too need grace and therefore willing to extend it to others. That they don't live life as victims, they choose to serve others. And so the first question is, am, am I willing to change? Number two, am I willing to put others first in my relationships? And am I willing to try to love as Jesus did? We, we love this passage until you actually try to obey it, until it challenges your heart. Where Jesus says in John 13 verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another and if he ended there, it would be a lot more easy to live with. Just think about it. A new command I give you, love one another. Just if that was the full stop. But it's the next bit. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Do you see the point that I'm making? If it was just love one another, well, because God, I gave it my best effort and I did at least as well as so-and-so did and I was a lot better than, you know, so-and-so down the road and this person, I did it. But he says, that's not the measuring stick. Jesus says to us, I'm the measuring stick. You, you, you measure your response to this new command by loving one another as I have loved you. And that requires sacrifice and obedience and going be above and beyond. So I want to give 
50 things. No, about building relationships. There could be, there could even be more. I'm just going to settle on four things that would speak to the heart of if these were implemented and an effort was made, would immediately improve aspects in our relationships. I believe they of life-changing principles that lay a foundation. And I'm going to start with what may seem as a little bit negative, but this is it. Number one, I will sever any harmful relationships. And I'm going to, here in the auditorium, in our online campus, Perhaps just to take a moment. We're not talking about severe introspection. We're not talking about belly gazing. We're not talking about over and alone. We're talking about inviting the Holy Spirit to say, is there any relationship in my life that I need to step back from? Now, if you're married, that's not part of the prayer. There may be other ways of addressing that and other challenges there. I'm talking about friendships. I'm talking about people who have points of influence. I'm not talking about cutting people off. I'm not talking about alienating and never talking to them again. I'm talking about that somehow or other, a harmful relationship that is dragging you down needs to be cut off at its point of influence. Again, not cutting off, being disrespectful, not isolating, but just saying, I'm not going to allow you to influence my choices, my decisions as I seek to follow Jesus. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 33 says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Proverbs, I love Proverbs. It's, it's wisdom for everyday living. And as ancient as it is, it is up to date for every single situation in our lives. Listen to what Solomon says here in Proverbs 13, 20. Walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. Now, the initial reading of that is that it's kind of comparable. We would almost in our heads think, walk with the wise, you become wiser. Walk with fools and you become foolish. But it actually doesn't say that. It says you walk with the wise, you will become wiser. But if you hang out with fools, and fools are people who defy God, deny God, cast of restraint, and just have a totally dismissive attitude to the things of God. He says you let them be the influences of your life and your life is heading towards not foolishness, but destruction. And again, it's not talking about cutting people off who don't yet know Jesus or engaging, not engaging in friendships because God wants us to be in the world but not of the world. And I hope you catch that nuance. So the first thing, are there any relationships that I need to minimise the person's influence in my choices, in my decisions as I seek to follow Jesus? Secondly, I will nurture important relationships. And again, I want this to be as much as a Holy Spirit moment as anything else. And who are the important people in your life? And for most of us, we'd have a pretty quick and ready list and maybe one or two other, yeah, I need to include that person in it. We know the people who are closest to us that God has brought into our lives that are important 
And we need to start the relationships that we have and commit to investing in them. And I want to stress something here, by the power of the Holy Spirit. None of this is meant to be done in our own strengths. But what are the important relationships in your life? There's a principle in the Old Testament where God commands when you go into battle, he's speaking to generals and armies here. He says, and you lay siege against the city. He said, don't cut down the fruit trees. And you go, well, that is so deep. What does it mean? So often they had to get wood to do different things in the battle. And sometimes we find ourselves in conflict with people. But you've got to ask yourself, is this person a fruit tree in my life? In which case, do everything you can not to sever that relationship because they're a fruit tree. Yeah, you've got a fallout. You've got a thing that's broken down, but it's a fruit tree. And you go chopping that off of the roots and it doesn't grow back again. And maybe there's even a few of us that you can go, well, yeah, I think I might have done that. Maybe even inadvertently, it wasn't the intent. I believe that God has the power to restore, but it's that whole attitude of being careful. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, are called to be free. I love that. In Christ, we're called to be free. It's not about rules and regulations and laws that, that continually condemn us. We're meant to live in freedom. But he says, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather serve one another humbly in love. So your freedom is not there to indulge your whims, your anger, your whatever. He says, you're actually in that freedom called to serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. Now remember he's speaking to a church family here, the church at Galatia. And he said, and if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, Walk in the Spirit. And I want you to notice that the power to obey this, the power to live in this is to say, Holy Spirit, in my relationships, would you lead? Would you breathe? Would you guide? Would you give me wisdom so that I can improve those important relationships? And I wonder right now, here in the auditorium and online campus, whether you would just pray that prayer, Holy Spirit, I invite you into my relationships. I invite you to breathe. I invite you to lead. I invite you to give me wisdom on how, if there is a difficulty to move forward. Holy Spirit, I, I need your help in my relationships. The third thing is I'll do all I can to restore my broken relationships. I love the wisdom of the Apostle Paul in Romans 12, verse 17 to 18. If it is possible, has a key phrase, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So I want you to notice, and this I said right up front, that sometimes no matter what you do, how much you do it, some people will not reciprocate. 
And Paul releases us, God's Word releases us from that guilt, from that obligation. If you've made an honest, open-hearted attempt to reconcile stuff and the other person refuses, Paul says you're free to be released from that obligation. Now, if a new opportunity occurs, great. Access it, do what you can in that. But as far as it depends on you, seek to live at peace with everybody. And some people will never move forward in their relationships because they will never let go of yesterday. 1 Corinthians 13, it always amuses me how often it gets read at weddings. And if you're about to get married, feel free to read it. But it's, so I'm not mocking that. I'm just trying to bring the point of it. It, it, We read it and it's like this wonderful romantic thing. It's actually not romantic. It is incredibly challenging. He's not writing as a poet describing love like a rose or like a sunrise or a sunset. He's going, this is how love behaves. And when you read it that way, you go, this is challenging to behave like this if I say that I love somebody. And one of the things he says in verse 5 is love keeps no record of wrongs. How hard is that to do? Because the minute we've been hurt, the minute something's happened to us, the whole discussion that starts in your head is they did, they did, they did. And to step out of that, I think takes a move of God's grace and the touch of His Spirit in your life to say, I am intentionally letting go of the things that I feel I've been wronged in. I'm not going to bring the words up, you always or you never. Married couples, keep your elbows to yourself at this point in time. All of us can drop into that, whether it's in the marriage relationship or any other relationship. I love a story that I came across of an old couple who'd been happily married for over 50 years. And everybody knew that the husband was an incredibly difficult person to live with. This is not a testimony, by the way. Okay, just letting you know. Although without Linda being here, she may say it's true, I don't know. And so a young newly married wife asked this woman, how do you do it? And I mean, he's such a difficult person, how do you do it? And she replied, when we got married, I decided to make a list of his 10 greatest faults and made a decision I would overlook those 10 faults, no matter how often they occurred, how often they were repeated. The newly married wife asked, what kind of things were on the list? To which the woman replied, I never made the list, but every time he does something that irritates me, I say to myself, he's lucky that's on the list. (laughs) And I love the spirit of that. Very difficult to live in, but I love the spirit of it. Oh, that's on the list. I'm going to let that go. One of the best things we can do for our lives is to let go and forgive. And forgiveness is not always an easy thing to do. And we've done other teaching on it and we'll do it again, but it's not always easy to let go. And quickly on this, forgiveness is not always putting yourself back into a place of trust with that person. That that has to be earned, but forgiveness should be given. Trust has to be restored. Just trying to bring a bit of balance here. Colossians 3.13, bear with each other and forgive one another. 
If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. There's that thing, love, Jesus says, as I've loved you. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. But I want you to notice the opening part of that phrase is bear with one another. And I think sometimes that's the starting point that leads towards forgiveness is I'm not going to cut this person off. I'm going to just bear with it. I'm going to endure it until there's a way of reconciling, until there's a way of moving forward. And again, it may not be fully in your power. In fact, it's not. The other person also has to reciprocate. And the final thing, the first one was, I will sever any harmful relationship. I will nurture important ones. I'll seek to restore broken relationships. I'll look to initiate some new relationships. And again, I hope this is a Holy Spirit moment in our lives where we just pray, say, God, are there some new people you want me to include in my circle of friends, in the circle of influence in my life and being proactive, not stalking, but proactive in just engaging, inviting somebody over to dinner or out for a coffee or something. Some of the single young guys Take a hint. Be proactive. And all the single women under their breath said, amen, preach that. Every one of us needs some new people in our lives. I'm very blessed with a number of people that I have in my life and part of it's through the role, but I treasure them. And it's, and, but continue, there's always someone that brings something new, something fresh. And maybe there's something, someone that God has prompted you. You need to engage in a, a new relationship with that person. One of the ways you can do it through a local church is just get involved in a life group. Commit to a serve team. There's something that happens. I was just looking up this morning. I think there's close to 50 or more people serving between Kids Life and here this morning um, in the service. Those who are doing the live broadcast to our online campus and all of that. Just at this campus, never mind the City Hub. And, and the connections and the friendships and the relationships that grow out of just serving together. Proverbs 18 verse 24 it says, There are friends who destroy each other, but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. And so again, the whole thing with the relationships, is there something out of this morning's message? You go, I need to get intentional about that. Maybe there's two things. Maybe there's three. But at least there's one thing. You go, Holy Spirit, help me to do that. And I commit to doing it in this coming week, finding some way of being proactive in strengthening my relationships. Because everybody ends up somewhere, but not everybody ends up somewhere on purpose. The amazing thing is that Jesus invites us into a relationship with Him. And when He spoke to His disciples, He called it a friendship. Now, there's no question that He is Lord and Saviour. In fact, the Bible calls Him King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And that before Him on Judgment Day, every single knee will bow and every tongue confess that He is Lord to the glory of God. We're not taken away from the Lordship, but listen to what Jesus says. I no longer call you servants, John 15, 15. 
because the servant doesn't know what his master's, his, his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. And Jesus invites you into a friendship with him. When you acknowledge him as Lord, when you receive him as Saviour, he becomes your friend. He becomes your friend. He'll walk with you. He'll speak to you through the day. He'll prompt you. His word will become alive to you. It's a friendship. And when you say, Jesus, your Lord, Jesus be my Saviour, He becomes your greatest friend. 